0: Okay, I'm back. One, two, five, nine. Robert
1: Bridges, servant leader, rector, Reverend Deacon, elder, what the hell? No problem.
0: Uh, remind me what a means.
1: A uh I, I think it just means the uh, uh, stretching hmm. or, or pulling or something like that.
0: Okay sorry if we heard pouring noises i was pouring more coffee um um man i do like this is what happens every time i hear about gregory of Nyssa, is i'm like this is correct how could there be any other options (laughs) like i just get sucked in very very easily
1: yeah Um, i mean that i've heard many theologians say that it's actually not possible for you to be a christian theologian without like knowing gregory of Nyssa. You know, because he's just, and even like Catherine Keller, like the process theist, Catherine Keller, sort of constantly says, you know, in some of her work, she's like, well, Gregory of Nyssa is in some ways the first authentically Christian theologian. In that, purely in that he's coming up with stuff that is so innovative and so rooted in up to his time what the Christian church is saying is true, right? Like, like if, if everybody else prior to Gregory of Nyssa, and this is a, a silly, this is, this is probably only half true, but if everybody else prior to Gregory of Nyssa is ultimately doing a kind of Christianized, you know, Greek philosophy, Gregory of Nyssa is doing something unique, like Gregory of Nyssa is taking all of that and and reversing everything and is saying, well, you know, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like like he's saying, well, that sounds a little too, that sounds like a little too much like what my pagan philosophy teacher taught me in, you know, in, in Athens. What if I did something different? And, and like Gregory of Nyssa becomes this thinker that like, other people like other, like another way you can look at Gregory of Nyssa is um, the first truly innovative Neoplatonist since uh, Plotinus. Hmm. You know, some, you know, some people would like, like students of like Greek philosophy might see Gregory of Nyssa like that, where, where he invents the entire Christian concept of, of infinity and transcendence. And he, he develops a vision of, of a salvation that, Um, doesn't just try to Christianize what uh, Plato believed, but instead like takes all of the stuff that he's swimming in and, and says, well, but is that really what's happening here? You know, like in, in the gospel or in the letters of Paul or in his received tradition, you know, allegorical traditions of the old and, you know, the old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, right? Like he's, he's doing something truly unique in so much of his work and he's rooting it constantly in scripture and in the, the, the Christian catechism of his day. And, and, and all of these things that other people are not necessarily doing. Right. And so I think that's why he has sort of that reputation. Like he, he says things like change is good. It's designed by God. And and like pretty much everybody prior to Gregory of Nyssa goes, well, no, change is a part of the fall.
0: Right, right.
1: And Gregory of Nyssa just shrugs and goes, I don't know, man. Whenever I read the whenever I read the scriptures, that is simply not what I'm seeing. Hmm. Or or how can that be true when our Lord and Savior changed? Or, you know, right. stuff like that. And that's just a that's just a Gregory of Nyssa move constantly.
0: Hmm. So, okay, so thinking about all of this, um, I think the the question that, that, that we wanted to discuss at the very beginning is still open, and let me know if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's still the question of, or maybe not the question is not open. If we go with Gregory of Nyssa, there is this, um, it's not a progressive move. It's not a progressive eschatology. It's not that we are making anything. Um, so then what role does like growing in perfection have or like having better relationships have other than like, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, like kind of regardless of how it fits into our ideas about salvation or our eschatology, isn't it just good to be nice and ki- not nice, but like to be kind to each other, to try to be people who are kinder and more loving, like who are building better systems. Like, can't we just say that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. I think that, like, so let's dial back for a second. So I think that my, where I, what, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is I, I'm increasingly, as a person, you know, as a Christian and as a theologian and as whatever, like, I'm increasingly less and less convinced by, like, progressive eschatologies, and and i'm increasingly less not only less and less convinced but i'm i i'm i'm beginning to find them to be um boring but when i when i say that i find them boring what i mean is is that i'm no longer compelled by them you know like i i'm no longer like when somebody talks about it i i'm no longer like moved i'm 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 less likely to to be like, yeah, you're making good points. Like, and ins- even if I disagree, instead I'm like, eh. Not only have I heard this a lot, but the people who seem to believe in it, uh, and and allow you know their actions in the world to reflect that belief, um, don't seem to be able to account for all of the ways that it's just a giant failure. Hmm. I tend to think that a lot of progressive eschatologies um, are are make assumptions about how the world works and and how history has actually, that's my answer. I tend to think a lot of progressive eschatologies are are fairly bad on history. like and they don't tend to account for just like the kind of historical realities that we all kind of live in and face. Right. It's like, so like, it's like King's, you know, the arm of the the arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. You know, that's he, King is making a metaphysical claim that's rooted in his training as a Boston personalist, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, King believes that um, God is, is constantly over working to overcome, you know, the, the, the bad things of the world and, and through time and patience and diligent work, The bad things of the world will be overcome and we will move towards, you know, justice and goodness and righteousness. All we have to do is continue to have faith and to continue to work hard to try to make that happen. And like, I'm glad King believed that. It clearly fueled his, his work and his ministry and the stuff he did. He did. But um, the people that have been bequeathed King's legacy, um both I think radically misunderstand that quote in a lot of ways and have very clearly squandered it. Yes. You know, and so is it so if we still go with what King is saying, then how long is this arc? <laughs> right? right. Like, like that it becomes I think I think when we imagine I think when we take into account the the sort of the his, history, and we take into account the fact that we are the history is neutral. It's it's it, it 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 doesn't go in a straight line, or it, it moves around all the time. Um, if we account for that, this this quote, this idea that the that the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice, becomes I don't know a little. Thacius, a little banal, like a little silly, like yeah, like how? Oh, is this just the uh, a part of the longness of the arc? Well, eventually the ark is so long that it doesn't matter that it bends towards justice. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it does it because at least not for us is this just a, a part of faith that we just have to assume that one day, if we keep working very hard. And if we encourage our children to keep working very hard, if we encourage our grandchildren and so on and so on and so on, some iteration of our, of, of us, you know, of, of our family in the future will live in a just world. Well, what happens? Because here's the thing. We've already had a more just tax code in this country. Right. And it's gone now. And, and that's that. Or like the, uh, but the House just voted um, I don't know if it'll work this way I think there's probably other things that have to happen but the House just voted to expunge both of Donald Trump's impeachments from the record.
0: <laughs> what a great this, use of their time!
1: This is after this is after they did articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. Oh my god so so like if this all works, history will you know according to the books history would remember it maybe slightly differently. But according to the official records, Donald Trump has never been impeached. And Joe Biden has, because once upon a time, Hunter Biden sent dick pics.
0: God, God. Yeah. No, I, so, so I hear everything you're saying. Um, I do think that uh, this present moment dominates our imagination and in a way that we need to uh, remember um just like people who think that like things are going to get progressively better without us doing anything are dominated by I guess the Obama years or maybe West Wing.
1: <laughs> um Hey, you leave West Wing alone. Oh I-, yeah. I like the West Wing. But anyway, keep going. Um
0: yeah, I so I I think that I I, I also think that like history is is this if we look at history if we look like um, look at empires over centuries it is always the story of like creation domination and fall you know it's always always this yeah. arc toward nothingness and like thermodynamics tells us that like the universe tends toward chaos right it does not tend toward order and so i like i i just thinking about um what like what the world would do on its own or what we might be able to do in terms of like changing the world i i think i think where faith comes in is the belief that like god empowers us to do good and like i don't i honestly don't believe that like we are able to fully create the beloved community here like i i yeah i think i'm i'm fully pessimistic about that i think that we can continue to create better communities but i do think that like even in like the Star Trek future, you know, like in the in the future that Gene Roddenberry imagined where there's no capitalism and no poverty and we are free to explore the stars, there is still conflict and there's still conflict within humanity. You know, it's not that, um, it's not just that we are encountering other space races and have questions. There's still conflict within the human. I think that, I do think there has to be a, um, an ontological change. Um, But that like, that whatever, wherever evil comes from, wherever sin actually comes from, it is something that like, we cannot fully remove ourselves. You know, I think there, there is room for growth. I think that God does this work with us. But I think that like, there's, if if we could wash ourselves white as snow on our own, we would have done it already. I like I, I kind of think that's true. And I'm fully happy to be proven wrong. But also, like, thinking about the arc of the universe bending toward justice and, like, the length of, of that curve. Like, you take the integral of that and, man, there is a lot of suffering under that curve. And in that case, like, is that God cruel? I don't know.
1: Right. Well, in the Boston personalist tradition, God is um, limited.
0: You know, right, there's, right, there's right.
1: A, uh, the, there's a sense in which God, that's why there's an ark in the first place. You know, God, they, they would say that God is a person and that part of what it means to be a person is to um, have boundaries and limits, that persons are not sort of totally open because then, then they're not, um, integrated, you know, in, in, in an important way. They're not, they're, they're not singular in an important way. Mm. And so, and so the personalist reflection on God's, on personhood causes them to sort of make that claim about God. Well, God might be then this, the, the cosmic Supreme person, but then that just means that, that, that God is working morally and, and working, you know, in God's way to overcome the limits that God has, you know, that, gotcha. that we all have, right? Like they wouldn't say God is embodied, but they might say in the same way that you and I are limited, um, that our personhood is defined by boundaries. I am me and you are not me. I can run this. I can run X fast. I can move in this way i can accomplish these tasks i'm not too good at accomplishing these tasks like like it doesn't it's not necessarily the content it does it's not that it matters what tasks one is good at it's just that there are things about my personhood by nature of personhood that make me um limited and 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 not great at everything right Mm -hmm. um and, and in a more mysterious way, that is true of God, that there are, there are things about God being a person that, that mean that God, uh, has to struggle against it. They call it the given with a capital G, the given that is in God, this, hmm. this, that, that limitation that defines God as a person, um, actually, I'm, I don't know why I'm on the uh, I think they're at their best, like it's a metaphysical argument, they're making metaphysical arguments, but biblically, they're at their best when they point to the fact that God already does this in the Hebrew Bible, um, where he says that, where, where they talk about God's um, defining God's self as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they said, this is a limitation, this is a boundary God has set on God's self, Right. To be Mm -hmm. the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob means that God has to work with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Or God stops being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a limitation because that means that sometimes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob do not do the right thing. Right. (laughs) And now now God has to to overcome the given that is there, right? Um, Anyway, yeah. The long arm, basically, it's to say that I agree with you. The, uh, I, I don't I don't tend to like that um, anymore. And so my eschatology has changed um, to be this sort of inbreaking eschatology where I go, where I shrug and I you know when we encounter uh, democracy backsliding, or we or we watch our friends and family go from generally fine but conservative people to weird Trump. Christian nationalists you know Um, and we ask ourselves what but I thought things were getting better what's going on I just shrug and I say sometimes things don't get better yeah you know it doesn't mean we stop trying that's not what I'm suggesting doesn't mean that we can't make things better but it means that every time we make something better it is fragile Mm. you know and and so we have to deal with it. We have to constantly, I mean, th- did you just see, you might not have seen it. Uh, uh, it probably wasn't Pew research, but like some like legitimate research group, uh, put out, um, some statistics on, um, views on gay people and gay marriage from 2023. And everybody, uh, every political orientation had a drop in support.
0: I had not seen this, no.
1: Including Democrats. Huh. So across the board, like Republicans had the biggest drop. Like for the first time since like, you know, 2015, there uh, there has there is no longer a majority of Republicans that support gay marriage. Um, but Democrats had like a six-point drop. Hmm. And why is that messaging? You know, because it's fragile. It's, you know, this, these things aren't set in stone. They're fragile. We didn't continue, you know, to, I don't know, do something. And instead, we just sort of allowed messaging surrounding grooming and, and all this stuff. And people, and when people cite it, they, they talk about how they've gone too far. Gone too far with what? Well, they're mutilating child's uh, children genitals now. They're not, but right. that's the messaging. And so all of this is to say, I think that, you know, I, I think I have to assume that, that there's just going to be a, like a from outside of time in breaking to of, you know, change that I don't think that our struggling in this, in, time right now will in fact bring about the eschaton
0: right which is not to say that we don't do it
1: no i agree
0: yeah because we are we are caught up in relationships with with each other and we are commanded to love one another and this is how honestly like we ourselves are forged you know mm-hmm. um is in this struggle to love one another better um But yeah, oh gosh, it feels pessimistic, which is on brand for us. (laughs) But at the same time, it also, um, I think maybe, maybe alleviates some of the pressure to, to create the beloved community now, you know, to bring about the kingdom of God or the reign of God now. Um, Yeah, I think I'm on your page. A question, like maybe kind of the last question with this, because I was just hanging out with a Presbyterian um who a a former presbyterian because he learned about predestination and was like i don't like this so how um how how is humanity involved in this inbreaking of of the realm of god of this like eschatology like how is this not God forcing something upon us, which I think is like we do not want God to force things upon us. How how does this inbreaking eschatology work with us instead of being foisted upon us?
1: Well, Gregory, I'll I'll, pull, I'll point to Gregory Nissa for a moment because I think that he has, and any mostly any universalist within the Gregory of Nyssa camp, like post Gregory Nissa. Would say something like this too. Mm-hmm. Um, they they would point to the fact that like human activity, as creatures like like the true human being, true not like true like the real humans, but like human existence in the world, like like what makes us humans, what makes love love, what makes truth truth, what makes reason reason, all of it points to this kind of universalism, this, this sort of total change in the world, this, this ontological remaking or ontological perfecting, you know, of existence, uh, they, they would say that um, it's not God forcing anything, it's, it's creation behaving the way it is meant to behave. And, and remember, these are people that would have a view of, say, freedom that is not really rooted in volunteerism, right? Like it's rooted in, in um, uh, human beings um, uh, uh, fulfilling their natures as human beings. Like there's already parts of – we've talked about this a little bit in the past on the pod, but like the quick and dirty version of it, I think that – work our contemporary selves understand a little bit is we would not say that somebody who freely chooses to be addicted to heroin is free
0: hmm, mm-hmm. like
1: like we wouldn't we would know we would be like no that's weird like or, or we would not say of the joker that the joker is free Right, like That would be a weird thing for us to say. Some morally disturbed people might say that, <laughs> you know, the most free person is the sociopath. And I'm like, yeah, if you want to be a voluntaristic libertarian weirdo, you are right. The freest person is the one who is morally untethered to anything. Um, but I think for the rest of us, there's something about that that makes us go, well, no, that's not true. You right know, they're, they're, that's that's incorrect that 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 person is not free that's sort of an aspect of this view of freedom they would say yeah like when maximus the confessor talks about freedom he talks about the natural and the nomic will hmm. where where the natural will is that in that will in humanity that is simply our nature as human beings crying out for what we naturally desire. And so for, for Maximus the Confessor, we naturally desire the the love of God and the love of each other. Mm. That's something that is just found in human nature. Um, our gnomic wills or our, our, our deliberative wills, they're, they're sort of what we imagine when we imagine free will. And for Maximus the Confessor, the goal what the goal human perfection is when the gnomic will and the natural will are in accord. When, okay. when the, when what we choose to say and do and think and want uh, resonates with what our natures already want. Um, and, and then we are free, you know, then we are the, the f- truly free. Uh, because we are we are desiring the stuff that causes us to flourish as human beings, and we and we freely choose it every time, um, mm-hmm. and we and we know it well, right? That's if we if we adopt that view of freedom, then then of course the eschaton in breaking into the world is not forced on us; it's right. us it's us going well, this is obviously correct. It's obviously good for us. You know, Um, if we adopt a voluntaristic view of freedom, uh, there's actually no way we can talk about universal salvation without coming to, in some way, the conclusion that God is forcing it on you.
0: Right, right.
1: In some way, right? Like even even in my kind of purgatorial view, right, in which in which hell is this, you know, temporary thing that can last as long as it needs to, Mm -hmm. you know, until through the grace of God, sin and evil has been burned out of me and replaced with love should have brought in my heart. Even that, if we adopt a purely voluntaristic view of freedom, eventually at its base, I'm still not allowed to leave. Right. You know, I'm still not allowed to leave. I'm still, um, I'm still not allowed to just say, no, thank you. Right. Like, like, you know, I, it's just how it is. Um, There was a time when I was very bothered by that, Joe. Uh, And now I'm just not that bothered by it. Yeah. If I was really honest with you, like, I I'm just not that bothered by somebody going, well, what if I don't want to be in, what if I don't want to be with God? I would just shrug and I'd be like, it's not really about that. Hmm. Uh, on one hand, if you insist on being a volunteerist, um, I don't really know how to help you. I do actually find the older vision of freedom to be a lot more compelling than people think. Um, and I, and I don't think it's totally out there and I think it can work with certain forms of volunteerism. So it's not like I'm throwing out. It's not like I'm suggesting that somebody should tell me not to choose to eats mcdonald's right like you leave me the fuck alone i'll eat mcdonald's however i want thank you even though it's bad for me you know but like as somebody who now has you know kind of adopted this more social or corporate or cosmic view of like say god's justice now when i encounter people like that and i have a couple of times since doing this I, I generally say, it, I don't, it, it's not really about what you want. It's not really about what you want, buddy. You know, it, mm. it's, it's about, it's about all of us. Right. You know, it, it's about, it, it, yeah, it's about God too, but, but it's about all of us. It's about, it's about what all of us need in order to be free and in order to be liberated in order to be good. Right. You know, it's why, it's why we, it's why some of us just shrug when we think about billionaires imploding, you know, in, in a submarine, I'm like, I don't want anybody to implode. I'm not actively wishing suffocation on people, but if somebody were to be like, why did God let that happen? I, I don't tend to find that to be a terribly compelling question. Well, God didn't let it happen. Yeah, a they bunch of, it. Yeah. A bunch of weirdos got into, they didn't even call it a submarine. It has to be called a submersible. It's not even a submarine, yeah. you know, like a bunch of weirdos chose to do that and they got, and they got imploded. If, if they decide they don't want to be in heaven with uh, poor people and brown people, that is, that, that is their choice and they can choose that. And God will continue to allow them to choose that until they stop choosing that, right? But right. they don't. But they don't get to go to a special place by themselves, and not be a part of that one godlike thing that is the human race.
0: Mm. Yeah, not, I, they're,
1: yeah. They're, let me finish this up. They're not allowed because their entire existence is already dependent on us. Hmm. Right, they already uh, aren't allowed to not be a part of it. You know, they did not make themselves. They they are both their their bodies, their emotions, their brains, their wealth is all produced by human cooperation. Mm. They're already not allowed to be, to be separate. And so, what makes me why why should that's usually what I'll say. Why should God allow them to be separate at the end of all things?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Who? yeah. No, I think, I think you're right. I, there is, I can tell that my brain needs to like work through some of this still. And I, I will think more about it as I edit this episode. <laughs> um, <for laughs> sure. okay. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I think there's something very right about that, that like the one of one of the things about this earth that um, I don't know that we'll we'll be able to like fully rid ourselves of is um, is our sense that we are independent in any way, shape or form. I mean, that like that's capitalism, right? Like, I think that um, I, I think there are definitely societies on earth that understand our interdependence. Um but I don't – man, like short of the complete destruction of the uh, the U.S. empire and like Western European empires, I don't think that we're going to see people really fundamentally change their minds about this. Um, I just read two uh, – a short book that is like the first in the series and it's called a psalm for the wild built and the concept of it is that like at some point uh humans have created robots and robots uh, gain consciousness and nobody knows why or how or whatever um but when the when the robots gain consciousness, humans make what I think is an incredible decision uh, to say, "Well, we are not going to choose to enslave you. Like, go go do your thing. We will fundamentally change who we are, and there's like a great reordering of human society um, uh, around the idea that like." we will not force people to work for us anymore. Um, and it took like robots gaining consciousness for this to happen. And it, like, it, it's a, like premise aside, I they do a lot of good reflections on like what it might look like for us to not exploit the labor of others anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find, I find that it's a very delightful book with a very delightful vision. Um, and so I hold that up to our listeners for us to think about what it might, what it would take for us to um, not feel like we make ourselves, um, yeah, yeah. I guess it's not Earth; it's some like sci-fi place out in space. Um, but yeah, I, I, oh, oh, uh, yeah. I have a lot more thinking on this. I do think that like the thing that wealth allows us to do, a la Lazarus and the rich man, is wealth allows us to ignore the others around us. Wealth allows mm-hmm. us to. Um, separate ourselves in a way that is both unhealthy for us and unhealthy for others. And so like, this is why I think Jesus again and again tells us to like give up what we have, you know, (laughs) because it's only hurting us.
1: Yeah. I think that's true. You know, I think you're right. I think you're right. And like, and it's tough because on one hand I've got that part of me that's like, boy, I really would just rather be left alone. Sure. Um, You know, but that's, And I think it's not that I don't think that that's, I think it's, it's generally neutral. Like, I think it's okay if people get exhausted by other people and need time alone. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, that we lose, you know, our personhood. I'm suggesting that we, we understand exactly what personhood is. Yes. Right. Like personhood is the sum total of other person's making other persons, right, like persons live and die based on their relationship with other persons and other people. They are not we are not atoms, you know, that are that are just sort of exist totally independently of ourselves. That's not, that's not how it works. Um, And, and kind of my final reflection on all of this is, like, this is, I guess, another move that Gregory of Nyssa makes, and why I think Gregory of Nyssa is probably probably the guy, you know, at least to help guide our thinking on this. This is why Gregory of Nyssa thinks that creation and eschatology are the same thing.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. That it's one, it's one moment. It's one act of God, right? Like creation is not complete until it is complete until it's completed eschatologically. And the eschaton is just another word for Gregory of Nyssa for God's creation of the world, right? Like, it's all the same act. And and it's why it, it's why when we say things like, why would God force this? Can God force this on us? Must we accept XYZ thing, XYZ thing, it's why in Gregory of Nyssa's way of thinking, it's it, it it misses the point. It misses sort of the the kind of simple brilliance of, of his thought, right? The the idea that we can eschatology is not a second order business, Mm. right? It's a first order business. And so if if somebody were to say to to Gregory, well, why why would God force um, the the union of all people into this one God-like creature with Jesus at the head? Why would God force people to do that? Gregory of Nyssa would say, that seems kind of weird. How did you ask for consent to be?
0: right right right
1: you know and somebody might say well no and i should have been asked for consent to be but but we all know that that's just a weird rhetorical move people make that's nonsense you know be being the only way you can ask for consent is to first be
0: (laughs) sure you know
1: Like, like to say well i was never asked if i wanted to exist is a is a silly thing you you must first exist in order to ask, right? Like, like you can't, I know what you're trying to say, but, right. but it loses its moral strength after you realize that, oh, well, we're just imagining that we can make ourselves on our own. That somehow, not that consent is a bad thing, but that somehow consent is, is the first order thing. And it's, and it's not, it's not the first order thing it doesn't mean that it's not a uh uh like something that we should center in a lot of our ethics but but it definitely isn't something we should center in our ontology
0: right yeah that's a di- yeah uh, ethics and ontology are different by th- uh, the person asking for consent to exist is uh, is you trying to make an ethical answer to an ontological question right
1: um but yeah, i uh, that's sort of what I think. That's kind of what I think. I, I, it might be a sidestep, I guess, like to certain questions, but I think it's a necessary sidestep because I think the question is is a bad question.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me about this. This is, sure. um, yeah, I, I'll be interested to go back and see if I can find the first time we talked about it and see... Um, hmm if there's any differences um, or, or if the differences are the same as we've identified, I think. Yeah. It's all cool, cool. stuff. It's all really fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you just want me to do a regular sign-off?
0: Yeah, do a regular sign-off and we'll see what happens. All righty. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an
1: episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time.
0: What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet.